In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. I think sometimes that God puts us in this adversity to bring us back down to where we're back down at the bottom where we have nowhere else to look to is other than looking up to him. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos. I'm here with my good friend and our producer, Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? I'm doing good. Hey, I'm uh, glad to be here today with you, and I'm excited about our guest today. You know, uh, what our listeners may or may not know, a half a dozen times a year we strategically interview uh, these guys. They're called our Average Joes Arena Heroes. Uh, we highlight these guys because unlike our bread-and-butter interviews with authors and speakers, these guys uh, don't travel around the country speaking. They don't write books. They don't have a huge social media following. They're just dudes that are getting it done. They're driving to work. They're loving their wives. They're serving their communities. They're loving their kids. They're doing the best they can to be their best version. And man, they are the true heroes of this world. They are the silent majority of guys that are getting it done. And we want to honor those guys. And we've got a guy on today that I'm really excited about, Dale. He is really a champion for men. Uh, he runs a men's ministry in his church in Alabama. He's one of our arena coaches. He's on our prayer force team. And he's a, uh, He's a guy that is just getting it done, so I'm really excited about that. But before we bring him on, I want to get our guys over to our website, manarena.org. I just finished uh, a, a book called Guts and Manhood, Four Irrefutable Attributes of Courage. And this is a, a exhaustive word study of the word courage in the Bible. And uh, we are going to eventually have this book published but for our guys, we want to offer it free just in the month of September. So head on over, grab this book. It's not fully edited. It's about 95% edited. So go check that out. And we'd love to have you read it and let us know what you think. So before we do that, what's a man word, Dale? Got a man yeah, word for me? I do have a man word for you. And, I, you know, we're on right now as we we're recording this podcast, we have 371 uh, episodes out there so i'm wow. not sure if we've used this word before and i kept going back and forth and i went well for our guest jay we are going to use this word and i don't care what jim says so the word is protector 
Oh. Oh yeah, we've we've used that word, but go ahead and explain it again. Well, I think about it because of Jay's role, what he does for a living, and a man is that he is a protector for those who can't protect themselves. Uh, he steps yes. in the gap, that puts their life on the line, um, even even if uh, he knows that maybe the things that the other person are doing are bad. They have to make decisions sometimes that aren't popular, but they do this to protect those who can't protect themselves. And so I think that's what a man does. He jumps in the fray. He, uh, you know, grabs a squirt gun, jumps into the fiery furnace to go and, and help others. So that's that's my uh, word for Jay. Well, I think God has naturally created men as protectors. We have more muscle mass than our counterpart women. We uh, are larger. We are stronger. I don't think we endure pain as well, but we are wired to protect. If you watch the news whenever there's a tragedy, who's out there saving people? It's the dudes, not taking away from the women. It's just that men naturally protect. Men ask the question, am I good enough? Do I have what it takes? And they're looking for opportunities to prove their worth and their mettle. And so I agree. That's a great one, Dale. Thank you so much for using that for the sixth time. So anyway, <laughs> so, hey, I want to I want to bring my friend on Jay Penton. And uh, Jay is uh, 52 years old, lives in Prattville, Alabama. He's been married to his beautiful wife, Dana, for 25 years this December. And uh, man, it's just great to have you on the show, Jay. How you doing, man? Thanks, Jim. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, hey, thanks for being a man in the arena, man. I mean, I, I want to thank you because our country, our world needs more guys like you, and we just don't have them. And so we want to honor you today, man. We want to highlight you. And so, hey, well, let's do this, Jay. Let's have you just take about five minutes and just tell our, our audience your story. You know, who are you from? What, just what makes you you? Go ahead. Well, I'm I'm from here in Prattville, Alabama. I grew up here in Alabama, and uh, I... I grew up in I grew up in the church. Uh, my my grandmother took me to church when I was really young. I was saved uh, at, at a young age, at eight years old, and I'm I'm and I understood that at eight years old. I immediately started walking for uh, walking with the Lord and and trying to learn more about that living that Christian life. Uh, I went off to college after after high school. I went off to college, uh, worked at a couple of Christian camps. Uh, Spent some summers working at Christian camps. Uh, college didn't work out for me. There was uh, some issues there. I couldn't. Uh, I, I I wasn't able to stay there for some uh, other reasons. So I I couldn't make the grade. So uh, wow. so I decided to join the army. Um, and I joined the army at about twenty at twenty years old. And uh, once I joined when I joined the army, I was still uh, walking my walk with God. And, um, but it was really hard. Uh, you, you know, we, as, as men, we're meant to do, well, not just men, all of us as Christians, we're meant to do this together in relationship with other Christians. And it's really difficult. And, and I was young then. I wasn't really mature. Uh, probably wasn't as mature in my Christian walk as I should be. Um, I was, I was dating a woman at that time. I really, I, I thought I was in love with her. Um, the, the unit I was in, I was stationed at Fort Hood. We deployed to Panama. Uh, I was in combat in Panama. It was, uh, back in 1989, the U S invaded Panama. Uh, when I deployed back home, when we redeployed back home, um, I found out that, that this girl had been cheating on me Oh, the, I've been, for, for probably the first year I was in the army. Uh, 
I was having my quiet times. I was doing my personal Bible study time, but I never found that person to link up with that battle buddy. Uh, that's what I call it. Yeah. Uh, we call it in our men's group is our battle buddies. I didn't have that battle buddy to, to um, that I could pour into, that he could pour into me. I just didn't have that. Well, the night I found out about uh, my about my girlfriend cheating on me, I uh, come back to the barracks, to my platoon, and a bunch of the guys in my platoon told them what happened. They said, hey, man, you want to get drunk? I said, absolutely. And I dove head first into the mud. And it took me probably about 17 years to, to swim out of it. Uh, oh, wow. I, I, I was, uh, as a matter of fact, I was, uh, I, I met my wife when I was, I, I'd been re I'd been stationed overseas a, a couple times, a uh, couple times, uh, came back home. I actually got reassigned to Fort McClellan, which is right here in Alabama. I met my, I met my wife there and just a, a great woman. She, she loved me. I loved her. Um, I ended up going back overseas for a year and, and um, she asked me to get out of the army. So I got out of the army, joined the state troopers. I'm, I'm still not, not walking the path. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still swimming around in the mud. And yeah. uh, so we, uh, we get married and um, I don't know, maybe she just saw, maybe she saw God in me. That's all I can figure. And we, uh, you know, growing up here in Alabama, when you have a family and you have kids, you're supposed to go to church. That's the way I saw it, you know? Oh, so really? We started going to church and and we went to a couple of different churches and, um, we had, uh, we had my, my daughter Delaney. And then a couple of years later we had my son, Joey. And, um, one day, oh yeah, I forgot in the process too. When I came back home after I got out of the army, I got a job with the Alabama State Troopers. I've been an Alabama State Trooper now for 23 years. Thank um, you for your service there, man. Appreciate you. So much. Mm. I appreciate that. But 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 anyway, um, I was still <laughs> kind of doing my own thing uh, spiritually, and uh, I, I just I, I, I'll tell you this: I use it as an excuse lots of times that well, God knows the kind of work I do. Uh, he understands the way I act. This is a dirty job. It's just the way it is, you know. And, I, and basically, it was an excuse. You know, yeah. that there, I have a reason why I act this way. Well, finally, one day I was having lunch. <laughs> I was having lunch at a at a at a cafe here in town with a couple of other troopers, and a man walks up to me and says, "Hey, I want to tell you, man, I, I really respect you and thank you for what you do." And I said, "I appreciate." It. So, do you guys go to church anywhere? And I'm like, well, actually, I go to several churches. Uh, <laughs> and he says, well, I want to invite you to Boone's Chapel, and um, and have you, and, and I wanted you to come there, and uh, maybe you can come there and visit with us sometime. Well, when I was a young, when I was young, when I was a youth, the church I went to, we did a lot of youth activities with Boone's Chapel because back then, you know, country churches they all got together and they would do youth activities together because everybody had real small youth groups. And um, I, um, I I went to church at Boone's Chapel, and, and I'd been there before, but I hadn't been there in a long time. And um, the I, I started meeting people there. Um, we went there several times, and we joined the church. Well, you know, all we did was join the church. I still <laughs> still doing my own thing. Well, uh, finally. 
finally one day my son came home from school and this is this is the tool God used used to bring me back around to him. My son came home from school with a flyer for Cub Scouts and uh, he wanted to be a Cub Scout. Well, I said, okay, we'll go to the meeting. So we went to the meeting. They said, we want to start a Cub Scout pack here, but we don't have anywhere to meet. And I said, well, can you guys meet in churches? And uh, he said, yeah. he said, yeah, do you know anybody there? I said, well, there was a couple guys that went to church there at Boone's Chapel. I didn't really know them. I just recognized their face. And I said, I said, can we do that there? And they said, yeah. So we started this Cub Scout pack. Well, somehow in the process of starting this Cub Scout pack, I become the Cub Master. <laughs> I'm in charge of this. And I read somewhere in a book that you have Scout Sunday. And so we had, we, I scheduled a Scout Sunday with the, the pastor. And uh, at the time, our pastor there was Rodney Culpepper. And, and um, when I brought all the boys in in their Cub Scout uniforms, everybody thought so cute, you know, all these little boys in Cub Scout uniforms in church. And Rodney stands up in the pulpit and he points at me. He says, this is Brother Jay. He is the director of our new scout ministry here at this church. Well, when, when he said that, it, I, those two words just really pierced me. Mm. Scout ministry. And then he said I was the leader of the scout ministry. And um, I, I went home that afternoon. And I said, man, I am the leader of this ministry. And I am, I'm terrible. I'm just terrible. I, there's no tell, I cussed out a couple of people the night before uh, at work. Um, you know, just, you know, cussing out drunks or whatever, whatever I was doing. But I just really, man, for days, I was just convicted over that. And finally, um, two days later, I walk out. I have a forty-acre pasture out in the uh, out in the front of my house, and I just walk out in the middle of that pasture, and I just fell on my face and just confessed everything to God for the years mm -hmm. that I just stepped away from Him. You know, when I was a young man, when I was a teenager, He had called me out to do His work, and man, I just I just pushed it off to the side. Mm. Um, but little I know he was preparing me for something else. So, um, and it was a private thing, you know, it was just between me and God. I stood out, I laid out there on my face and prayed to him and, and I rededicated my life to him. That's why, you, you know, you hear people say some stuff like that before, and you know, well, you got saved at a young age. You, you got to wonder, was there actually a conversion there? Let me tell you something. When I was a teenager, when I was a young adult, when I graduated high school, I was working for the Lord. I was I was producing fruit. And I made a conscious adult decision to step away from that. You know, just to, man, it's just like I just snubbed my nose at God. You know, and uh and and he brought me back to that point to uh to to where I was with him. He gave me gave me a beautiful, gave me a beautiful wife, he gave me a beautiful daughter and a beautiful son. And I, and I just ended up dedicating all that back to him. And uh, so long story short, scouts is the tool that God used to bring. Well, among other things, you know, uh, yeah, we, he used my daughter and, um, and my wife, too, because if it hadn't been for my wife having been faithful and 
trusting me that that would ne- it would have never happened. I and uh, so, but that that's where I, that's where that leads me up to where we are right now. So now, Jay, what year was Delaney born? Was it nineteen ninety nine or nineteen ninety eight? Okay, so my my daughter Delaney was born in nineteen ninety nine. Uh, <laughs> I. I've preached a sermon on that before, and I called it. I call. I entitled the sermon "The Worst Summer Ever." <laughs> well, you know, you said, yeah, and you sent me in your bio stuff. You said this. You said, "quote When Delaney was born, something was wrong, but we didn't know what." Then, when Delaney was one month old, my wife had a wreck with Delaney in the car with her. Crazy wreck. Delaney was okay. My wife wasn't. Her pelvis was broken in three places. Out of commission for what the doc said would be at least six months. New dad, new job, new baby, broken baby, broken wife, broken life. Two weeks after the wreck, God sent us a surgeon that knew exactly how to fix Dana's pelvis. Three months later, she could walk on crutches. We took Delaney to Children's Hospital to get the diagnosis of what was wrong. The verdict? Prater-Willie syndrome. So in 1999, you have the serious wreck. Your wife is down for months. You've got a daughter. You know something's wrong. That was a rough year for you. Can you walk us through those events and what happened on the other side? So uh, the we had we had uh, we had Delaney. It was just wonderful. You know, we had our first child, and um, Delaney. We had Delaney, and uh, but immediately we knew something was wrong. You know, uh, kids that have this disorder, Prater Willie syndrome. In the beginning, when they're born, they're fail to thrive. You end up having to force feed them. Um, matter of fact, we're new parents. I had only been working for the state troopers about two years, not quite two years yet. And um, so you got to imagine new job. You don't have any sick leave saved up. You don't have any leave saved up. Uh, you, you know, any emergency, you're just going to have to go through it. So, so anyway, getting back to what I said, we knew something was wrong with her. You know, she's real floppy. She's got real low muscle tone. They just didn't know what was wrong with her. Um, so I don't know how you guys do it there, but when the baby's a month old, everybody takes the baby to have new pictures made of that new pictures made of them. Uh, so um, anyway, my wife was getting ready when Delaney was a month old to uh, have pictures made. My wife's a teacher. So this was during the summer. So she was off. Uh, and so anyway, she, uh, was getting Delaney. She put Delaney in the car, in her car to, to go, uh, to take her to Montgomery to, uh, to have to a portrait studio to have pictures made. Well, she got in the car, tried to crank it. It wouldn't crank or, I mean, uh, no, I take that back. It would crank, but it did, the air conditioner wasn't work, working. So, you know, in Alabama, it's just sweltering during the summer. So anyway, um, uh, she decided, well, I'm going to take Jay's pickup truck. Well, my pickup truck is a stick shift. Uh, so what my wife did, she put Delaney in, straps her in, and she gets in the car to crank it up uh, so the air conditioner will start r- working. So she gets halfway in the car and halfway out, pushes in the clutch, cranks it, and it's not thinking. She steps out, pops the clutch with the truck lurches forward. Her foot gets hung inside. The The truck drags her across the yard. We have a set of concrete steps at the house that we lived in then. It drags her across those concrete steps and runs over her. And then the truck comes to rest against a, a propane tank in the yard. 
Delaney's still in the truck and it's hot, you know, and um, my wife drags herself across the yard to her car. Well, first she passes out. We don't know how long she was passed out. She drags herself across the yard because she can't move. So just listen to how courageous my my wife is, man. Well, what a crazy wreck. I thought when you said wreck, I thought she hit somebody, or but she just popped no. the clutch. She wow. just popped the clutch. She drags herself across the yard, goes to her car, opens the door, and and gets you remember the bag phones? <laughs> she had a yeah, bag yeah, phone yeah. In car. And she reaches in, gets it out of the floorboard, and calls. Doesn't call nine one one. She calls the state trooper post. I'm out on a traffic stop, and they call me and say your your wife's been involved in a in a wreck at your house. So here's me, lights and siren, hundred miles an hour, going across the county, trying to get to my house. Well, you know, it's a blessing. Two other troopers at work, and they got to the house before me. Uh, they get my daughter out of the car and they call an ambulance for my wife. Um, so anyway, uh, when she gets to the hospital, we find out that she's, she has a broken pelvis. The doctor there says, man, she's, she's going to be on her back for six months. And, um, so eventually I, you know, that just didn't seem right to me. I said, there's gotta be something else with that. So we have a great hospital in Birmingham, UAB, University of Alabama, Birmingham hospital. And, um, I call up there. Well, they have a specialist that specializes in orthopedic trauma to the pelvis, a Cuban doctor. Mm. And, uh, they take her up there by, um, you know, and God just direct, I'll tell you, that's how God works. He directed us to this guy. He, I call him. I, his, and I tell, I tell the doctor at, uh, the hospital down here in Montgomery who he is. And they said, Oh yeah, he's a world renowned doctor. You'll never meet him. This guy calls me on the phone and says, Hey man, can you bring me the, her x-rays up here so I can look at him? I said, brother, I'll be up there in an hour. He says, well, you can overnight him. I said, no, I, I'm in a trooper car. I'll have him there in an hour. <laughs> so I take him up because see, at the same time, my wife was in the hospital. I, I don't have any leave saved up. I'm a new employee. Yeah. So I had to work. Um, my, my mother and my mother-in-law and father-in-law kept, uh, and my dad, they kept my, kept Delaney while I was working and stuff. So, uh, anyway, I get up there. He, he holds the, the x-rays to the light. He says, okay, we're going to bring her up here to Birmingham. I want to put two plates here. I want to put a pin in right here. I'm going to make sure everything's working. And then we're going to get her up and we're going to have her walk in the same night that I operate on her. I'm like, okay. So they take her up there in, a, um, in an ambulance and he does just that. He comes to he comes to the room after the surgery and says, "Okay, Mr. Penton, what we did, we put two plates in her, put that pin in. I shook everything around to make sure nothing moved, and then we sewed her back up. And then later on that night, they had her up walking. So wow, praise wow. God, you know. But here's the thing: at that time, I didn't praise God. I I still would never give God credit for that at that time. Um, so. Fast forward, you know, she goes through, my, my wife goes through therapy and um, fast forward a few months. At the, this time, we're taking Delaney back and forth to Children's Hospital, trying to find out what's wrong with her. We finally get the diagnosis that it's Prayer-Willie syndrome. and um, Which is what? Which is what? What is that? 
what Prater Willie syndrome is, it's a um, it, it's it's kind of like Down syndrome in that okay. you, you are missing one chromosome. The biggest difference between kids that have this disorder and Down syndrome is the amount of time they spend thinking about food. Uh, my daughter, she thinks she's hungry all the time. These kids will literally eat till their stomach bursts. She oh, will. Wow. Uh, she will. We have to. We have alarm. We have locks. All the food in our kitchen is locked in a pantry. We have no food in the cabinets. Um, a lot of people wow. put locks in the refrigerators. Uh, we uh, we don't have a lock on our refrigerators, but we do have motion sensor alarms. So I know. So we know when the the refrigerator opens. So you were to ever come to my house and go in my refrigerator to get a bottle of water or something, you'd hear the dee dee. It, it would open. So it, we would hear it as soon as you go in. So that's so we know that um, she is uh, uh, she 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 has a developmental delay. Um, she so she's going to always have to have someone take care of her and uh, and watch her to help monitor her diet and everything. But mm-hmm. the day that we found out about um, that, we found out this diagnosis. We were driving home from Birmingham. They sat down and explained what this disorder was all about. What the prognosis was, what we could expect, um, what type of treatments were available. And um, we start driving home and it's just quiet in the car. Delaney's in the back. And um, my wife said, well, look at her. She's just as beautiful as she was the day we got the day she was born. said, you know, I think God may have a plan with all of this. And I look at my wife, the man in the family, and I said, I don't know what in the world God's got to do with any of this. Mm. And and I was mad. Oh yeah. I was I was just mad. And and then my wife, she's she says, Well, I think I still think there's a reason for this. And I was like, I said, okay. And that was about it. You know, and um, so you know. I think sometimes the way God brings us back to him, I, I, I know why. The, when we drift away from God, God brings us back to him by breaking us. And, you know, man, oh, right yeah. then, point in life, because my wife was still walking on crutches from a wreck that day. I was still having to help her in and out of the car. And and then I found out something's wrong with my daughter, too. And um, But, you know, even when he breaks us as men, Sometimes it, it still takes a couple of years for you realize what he's doing. So Jay, you said just now God brings us back to him by breaking us. There's a school of thought out there right now in evangelical Christianity that would argue that and say God would never hurt us. He loves us. How how is that view that God would never hurt us? How is that view contradictory to what you said? But more than that, how is that view unhealthy? Because God often breaks us. Luke 15 shares about a broken person. Peter and the denials was broken over and over and over again. Paul Paul was broken oh. with his eyesight, and Paul I, never recovered. Galatians 6.11, Paul says, see what large letters I write with. I believe that was his thorn in the flesh. I believe he never recovered from that moment. God broke his eyes, and they never fully recovered. So when you say, God brings us back to him by breaking us and people push back on you. How do you articulate that in the, in the 
paradigm of God's love? I I think I, I think it's this way, Jim. I think that it's kind of like your coach, <laughs> in a way. You, you know, when you're at football practice, your coach has you running those sprints. He has you doing all these exercises. He's doing this. Why? Not to punish you. He's doing this to build you up and get you ready for the game. You know, so I think sometimes that God puts us in this adversity to bring us back down to where we're back down at the bottom where we have nowhere else to to look look to is other than looking up to him. And at the same time, he's building us up and giving us strength for the next purpose that he has us for. You know, I, I think that I went through a lot of that at that time to help make me a stronger dad. Because think of this, man. My daughter's going to be with me. You know, you have children. They grow up to become adults and they move out of the house. My daughter's 21 years old. And um, she turned 21 years old this year. And you know what? She's <laughs> she's uh, she's still a blessing. She's and, and you know what? She's going to be with me from now on. Maybe I believe that God was building me up to that point, getting me ready for this. Look, let's. This is how bad it was, but look how good it's going to be. And, and we got to get you strong so that you're ready for that. And and then also then when he brings me to this ministry of his, you know. Which you know, we a lot of us as ministers, we like to call it our ministry. It, it's his ministry. He just lets us do it with him, you know. And uh, so he brings me into this ministry here, so that with this experience I have, and even the the years of wandering, like I said, swimming around in the mud. Now God's given me some waders, so I can walk <laughs> out in the mud and pick up other men, you know, and and I can bring them back in and. And he's given me these experiences to where, you know, when they have issues, I can say, look, man, this is bad. You know, but, you know, God's got something better planned for you. Look, you got to look further down the road than what's right here in front of you. And like with me in this situation, I probably, I think a lot of men, sometimes they're not broken and then immediately turn over to God. It probably took me another four years to get back to the point. Well, I know it did. It was probably it was like four or five years before I started taking my kids and my family to church, and then we get to this point of where God's called me back in to to the things He's got me doing now. Well, hey Jay, we're going to take a short break and hear from our sponsors. We're going to come right back. Men in the Arena is a nonprofit, crowdfunded organization that exists to inspire men to become their best version. We're able to freely offer this podcast, weekly equipping blasts, discussion forums, plus our small group resources to the three M's, active military, missionaries, and men in underdeveloped nations. This could only happen because of a large group of generous donors like you. You can find out more about how to support our ministry at meninthearena.org. So what I hear you saying, Jay is God takes our mess and he turns it into our message. He gives you the waders to go out in the mud and only you can navigate out there because you've been there before, right? When you were sharing your story here, you were talking about strength. You mentioned the word strength several times. And then you talked about God building you up in the context of God breaking you down. How do do building us up and breaking us down work together to make us stronger men? Well, uh how about when you when you're doing a development project on some new property? First thing you have to do is you have to clear it off, right? 
So you start from the yeah. bottom and work yeah. back up. You know, I, I know that I see a lot of building. Well, I'll tell you, a guy bought some property right across the street from me. And right, I, Well, I live in the country. It's not a street. It's a road. But <laughs> when I come get in my driveway for weeks now, he's building a new house. For weeks now, I see the progress as he's building that house up. Right now, he's he you know they first thing they did was they got there and they cleared it all out. They they and they flattened out the the land where he's going to build the house. Then he started working on the foundation, poured the concrete foundation. He's constantly building it up. I think sometimes God's got to get us down to the bottom or get us down here to to where he can have something to work with, you know. We've got to get to the point to where we're looking toward him and not looking toward all our stuff, you know, because we all got stuff. What does what we say that all the time? And, and, and you know, I, and, and then he, and then I think at those points too, he brings somebody into our lives, help, help bring us up. I was listening to your podcast the other day and you were talking about uh, your fishing trip where the guy had went, uh, the guy that went out and he didn't, he'd never been down that trail before. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> you guys got lost. You know, yep. now, you know, I've become one of those guides. I've been there before. And, um, you know, last night I was doing, we were doing a, um, we were doing a, not a commissioning, a recognition service for one of our young men in our church this leaving this week to join the army. And, uh, and the first thing I did was I, I recognized all the veterans in the church and I, and I spoke to them and how they were guides. I actually, Jim, I used your story in that. Oh, how funny. And I got told that a long time ago. said, uh, so when you hear a preacher's story, you can use it too. You just got to cite him. <laughs> oh, cite totally him. too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, but anyway, uh, I, I use that as part, I use that as, as an example yeah, said you got all these guys that have already been down the path you're going, and they are guys that can be your guide through this. And uh, so, yeah, I think even when we, it seems like too, every time you get down to the bottom, God's going to move somebody in to help you along. It's going to, they can help be your guide. We we just got to pay attention. I think sometimes we we miss that uh, when we're looking for it, and when we're looking well, for we, our be the guide. Well, I think sometimes we miss it because we have been trained in America that, or in our, in our modern culture, that comfort is the enemy or is comfort is your best friend and pain is the enemy. And I think it's the exact opposite. I think pain is your friend and we, men need to search out. This is what I've discovered. Men need to search pain out in their lives so that when they experience pain, they can't control, they can handle it. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And well, look at, look at going to the gym. You know, you 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 yeah. You take yourself to the gym. You work out, and it hurts so bad. You know, you got to experience that pain though before you can see any progress. Well, that's interesting because uh, I hate working out. I despise it. It's I not do too. fun for me. But I've been working out every every week of my life, three to four days a week. Dale, since you've known me, right? I mean, I probably yeah. since I was 14 years old and I don't like it, but I realize I have to do it to make me stronger. And we just live in a, a society that does not value strength. In fact, I just saw a meme posted where, where there was a group that was 
bad-mouthing football as barbaric and people shouldn't do, play football and people shouldn't lift weights because this is what barbaric people do. And I think it's this, it's this drifting into this comfort zone. Well, you see it as a cop all the time, right? You, yeah. I mean, you see broken, soft men who are making excuses for their life. Well, what have you experienced being a cop? I see, I tell you, you see it, uh, that they always want to blame someone else. You pull somebody over. Well, I was just following the guy in front of me. No, no, you were catching <laughs> up. The guy. You know, that's why I pulled you over and not him. Uh, and, and you know, so, or you were closing on the guy in front of you. I tell you, man, I'm starting to see it now. You know, I, as you, uh, you know, I have gray hair. I'm an old trooper now. I'm an old state trooper now. So they use us old state troopers to be instructors and to be trainers. And now that I do a lot of teaching, I'm starting to see it now from uh, some of the recruits we're getting in, you know, man, when I went through the trooper Academy, they, they were pretty, it was pretty heavy. Same thing. It was basically, it was like going through basic training in the army all over again. And um, as a matter of fact, when I went through trooper school, I said, this will be the last class I ever go to where men get in my face and scream at me. And uh, so I, and, and I meant that and I, I haven't done it since, but, but as you, as an instructor, I, I, can I give you an example? Yeah. I was, I was teaching a class one day at the Academy and um, one of my pet peeves, man, is recruits falling asleep when I'm teaching a class. And I tell them, I prep them at the beginning. I said, look, if you feel like you're about to fall asleep, get up and stand up in the back. No problem. I said, but if I catch you, there's going to be a problem. And uh, I had a guy one time I was, I was in front of the class teaching and um, I turned around and looked at him and he is kicked all the way back in his chair with his head leaning back and his eyes are closed. And I said, Hey man, go stand in the back of the class. Uh, Cause you're falling asleep. I was trying to be cool. You know, I was trying to be cool about it. Then I turned back around to keep going with what I was talking about. And he said, I wasn't sleeping. And I said, uh-huh. I said, do what? I said I wasn't sleeping. <laughs> and the other instructors there, they said they could see it on my face. They were like, oh, no, here it comes. And I said, let me tell you something, son. I told you. And then I stopped and looked around and everybody else was just looking at me. I said, everybody take a break except for you. <laughs> so I was about to, you know, the old Jay. I'd have ripped Light him up in front of everybody. But then I decided, you know what? I'm 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 trying to become something new here. I'm trying to set a new exa- a better example now. And um, because at that time when that had happened, I had just made this commitment to to God to, to go into ministry. And I was like, man, I've got to what part of my life do I have to change? Well, it's every part. And to be a minister at my job, because uh, because I don't think all men understand that when when you accept Christ and you decide to follow him, you don't have to be ordained or you don't have to be licensed to be a preacher. When you accept Christ, you, you have become his minister. And you know what? It's when it's in your job. It's, it's in the way you treat your family. It's in the way you treat the cashier <laughs> who is talking on the phone at Walmart while you're waiting for her to ring up your, stuff you know it, you know it, it's it's in every aspect of your life so 
when I realized what I was, where I was going before I, that's when I realized God's, he's starting to take control of me because, you know, man, there was a time I'd have, that that boy would have hated it. I mean, so, well, he still didn't like it because what I ended up doing was after I got the class dismissed, I said, you come with me. And I took him in another room and I just explained to him that he would never do that again. And um, I said, because, and, and then also turned him over to some of the tack officers there and they, they took care of it. So. so Jay, why do you think, why do you think we have guys blaming other people instead of accepting responsibility nowadays? Why do guys do that? Why do people do that? Man, that's a tough one, isn't it? I think, I think a lot of time, I think that's the way being the husband of a teacher. One thing that I see is this is, uh, you know, like my wife and I've heard it before when she has problems with students at school, they want to call, uh, she'll call the parents and try to explain what happened at school with, uh, so-and-so with little Johnny or whatever. And, um, and the first thing the parents say is, Oh, not my child. But you know, they don't want to, they, they're, they're going to sit here and say, no, I, my child would never do that. Yeah. Yeah. Your child will do that. You know, I remember one time, man, uh, you know, one of the things that's going on right now is, uh, you know, we have these issues with pornography. It's so readily accessible on the phone and stuff. And um, I was talking to uh, one of one of the men at church. I have I have covenant eyes on my phone. My wife gets the the um, the notice, and um, and my, all of I us, have, all of us do, all of us. And, and well, that's why when you asked me to be an arena coach, and that was one of the requirements, I'm like, I'm already there. But but. Uh, we, uh, but, but I have it on my son's phone, everything, but, uh, but, but anyway, I, I recommended it to one of the men at the church. And I said, I said, you know what, you need to watch, you need to get that and put it on your son's phone. That way you can keep an eye on stuff. And the first thing he said, he said, well, you know, I think I would rather, I'd rather be the man that, that trusts my son to do the right thing. And I said, oh yeah, <laughs> good oh. luck with that, man. Uh, yeah. I hope, I hope you can trust him, but. And then I told him real quick, but you remember this, remember how much stuff that you got away with that your parents never knew about. So I think sometimes that's uh, part of the issue there is that at some level in the upbringing with these younger people now, they're, they're not getting that, you know, that grit you talk about all the time. Yeah. So many helicopter parents that are just floating over their kids are doing everything for them. And I tell you, I'm finding out it's really easy to do that. My my son has gone off to college now, and um, and uh, <laughs> when COVID hit this year, he had to come home early and finish up a lot of uh, his classes online. Well, when he finished them up, I was like, he says, "Well, that was." I remember him coming downstairs from his room. Well, I took my last test. I said, "Oh yeah, time for you to find a job. You got the whole summer. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. You, you gonna want some money?" And, and I'm pretty proud of my son because one thing he did when he went to work this summer and he, he worked at a restaurant, um, fried chicken. And, uh, and so, you know, in Alabama, we like our fried chicken, but, but anyway, okay. uh, he, uh, he, he worked so many hours that he was able to make, uh, he made a couple of his car payments, you know, and I'm like, man, this is, you know, whenever you get those little things that happen to you, you're like, man, I'm not doing too bad a job. I've done pretty good. It's so, <laughs> you know, a little way to well, patch yourself on the back. You know, as I'm listening to you speak, Jay, and as we, we're having this conversation, 
you know, I think of uh, Dana getting in the wreck. I think of Delaney and her uh, her issues with the syndrome she's got. I think of uh, you being announced, your pastor announcing that you're now the Cub Scout leader. I think of your son being told to get a job. These are all uh, elements and opportunities and experiences where people had to deal with a crisis. And I think as men who are leading our families and trying to lead our lives, we need to do two things. We need to create a crisis in our own life and a crisis in our kids' lives. And that crisis can be as much as, oh, you got a car from your grandparents, time to get a job. Or, hey, I need to go uh, do something to create a crisis in my physical body, right? Uh, It's me against me, right? Uh, Jack Hayford talks about making decisions against yourself daily. I want to sit on the couch and watch TV, but I want to need to create a crisis that will get me off the couch and into the gym. So what are some areas that you see we what are some areas that we can create crisis in for those we love and for our own lives? Well, like with my son, last year was his first year at college. And um, mm-hmm. in the first month, I noticed uh, how much money he was spending uh, when he first got there. You know, that first freedom. And um, I told him, uh, I told him after a month of it, I, I pointed out, you know, I said, man, you, you, you get your meals at the cafeteria. You got a place to sleep. Where, where are you blowing all this money at? And he said, um, I, I didn't realize I was doing that. And he tried to explain it to me. I said, well, look, I'll tell you what, we're, we're not giving you any, you're not getting any more money from us for about another month. Yeah. And I just, so I think I created a crisis there now. Absolutely. Now the car is parked in the parking lot. He's got to walk everywhere. Uh, he can't get gas. And my wife was really concerned about that. And I said, don't worry about it. It'll be okay. You know, and, uh, and so I think we can create crisis that way. Um, or just like I said, like this summer, I told him, I said, you know, you're, you're cut off, you know, what you going to do about it? You know? And so he started working, he went out and got his own job and he started working on his own and, uh, Actually, he had two jobs. He was uh did two jobs for uh, the be- most of the summer, and um, so he, he had he had and he was saving his money, and I and uh, so I think that's one way we can create crisis. Uh, I, I think I think another way we can create crisis is we can um, you know I think men are uh, kind of task oriented. Rex Tignor, yeah. he talked to us about that one time. Uh, they're yeah. task oriented. You can give them a task. And tell them, look, I need you to do this, and I, and I need, and I'm, and you, and you, and you let them know real quick that you're dependent on that. I learned how to do that as a scout leader, you know, uh, soliciting volunteers. You know that, Jay. I think we need to do that. You know what? That's a great idea. Can you be in charge of that? And then sure. you, you know, the way you do it, and, and then you you get them to say, uh, yeah, I think I can do that. And then you seal it with a handshake, right? Thanks, man. I sure do appreciate you handling that. Now that's a that's almost a crisis because now they realize well now I'm responsible for that. Um, I, I think we can do that with a lot. I think we can do that with uh, with younger people in our lives that we can assign them a task that the only way this is going to be done is if you do it. Yeah, and we, we can do that also. Um, I, is that what you're talking about? I kind of yeah. We well I, I I'm just having a conversation thinking about this. We have to do that. We have to say to our kids, guess what? You live here. 
So now you get to do chores and just yeah. consider them your rent payment. You know, uh, we should not put our kids in more expensive cars than most of our adults. We need to make our kids work for what they have. Uh, I think that we are so soft. And this is our generation, Jay. Our generation has created this because we uh, refuse to allow our kids to go through a crisis because we refuse to allow ourselves to go through a crisis. I mean, you've seen this. You're a state trooper. You're in the middle of COVID-19. This is a crisis, and some people are handling it very well, and some people are are really, really struggling because they've never invited crisis into their life. They've seen it as a bad thing, and they've seen pain as a bad thing. And that's the that's issue. That's what I'm thinking. That's the issue with a lot of these kids. They never had to experience this crisis, so then they leave the house. You know, you've said it before. They leave the house as a male and not as a man because they've yeah. never. Uh, been directed how to live as a man or how to be a man because they've never had to do anything for themselves. And a man takes care of his own stuff. He he handles his own garbage, you, you, you know, yeah. uh, with, with other men. I, I was, um, I, my, my pastor asked me, uh, suggested to me a couple of months ago that I contact promise keepers to become a promise keeper ambassador. And after uh-huh. the promise keepers event a couple of weeks ago, I'd, I felt like God was probably sending me that way. So I, I've, I've done an application. Well, now I'm going through the training uh, to be a, a promise keeper ambassador. And what's his name? Judge. Uh, he was on oh, your Vance show. Day. Vance Day. Vance Day was talking about that. And he said, um, one of the things he said that is that men make men. Um, so it's not women that make men. It's not boys who make men. It's men men make men. So I think that as, as we, as men, as we go through our stuff, you know, like I said, one of the ways we learn how to take care of our stuff is by having this other man show us how to do it. That's, that's what a dad does. You you know, I, you know, I show my son how to do this. I show him how to, I I taught my son how to cook, you know, so he could make his own food, his own meal. So he wouldn't have to depend on his mother to do everything for him, you know? Not taking anything away from my wife, but uh, you, you know, if if my wife had her way, she would do everything for him, you know, and she's she'd be good with that. But she realizes this is important that when I I say no, nah, he needs to handle that, you know, and and she she understands that and she'll take that step back and um and let us handle that, you know. I I have a great son and he's just doing a great job now. You know, when I took him Saturday to um to Huntsville to go back to school, that I it's important for us as dads to to instill that into into our son. I, I had him in his dorm room. We got everything moved into his dorm room, and I, I told him, I said, "Hey, man!" I grabbed him by the shoulders. I said, "Hey, man! I'm proud of you." And, and you know, my son's a head taller than me now, and, uh, and I said. Man, Proud of you. You're doing such a great job, and I know you're going to do well here. Okay. You just keep it up. I love you. Do you understand that? And he said, Yeah. And I hugged him, and he hates it when I do this, but I I I I kissed him on the neck, you know. I could, you know, while I was sitting there hugging him, and he, he hates it when I do that. But I do it every time anyway, because I'm his dad, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's how I let him know I love him. So, you know he's watched me take care of stuff all these years. And now, you know, and, I, and I've taught him how to do it now. So now I'm instilling that into him. And I, 
I think that's how we do that. It's men who make men, like 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 Vance said. It's, it's men well, and that's what's really cool about what you said is, and I I believe that too. I mean, I I I don't kiss my kids because it's just not a part of our culture and our family. But yeah. I hug them, I tell them I love them all the time. But here's the thing: uh, you brought up a really good point, um, Jay. Men, and this goes back to Dale's word, we are protectors. So we are protectors. And the only way a young man, a, a boy, our sons can become a protector is if we train them in how to be a protector. And there is a strength that comes from having to protect. Women are nurturers. So she's going to be back in the room holding the kids while you're out in the front porch doing battle. And so that's how God has wired them, generally speaking. And so and for us as protectors, we need to be strong and we need to develop strong kids. And what you're doing with your son, which I love, and I think this is what Jesus does, he shows us that strong side of his love, right? That that uh, that resolve, that grit in, 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 in uh, going to the cross for us. Yet he wraps his arms around us and says, you're my son and I love you. If we just teach our kids to be hard, we're going to ruin them. We need to teach them to be hard, and we need to teach them to love at the same time, we, like a good coach does, like a good father does. And so if a man, I think a lot of the problems, tell me what you think about this, Jay. It seems like we as men have become women in our society. We're the nurturers, and our women are the nurturers. So now you've got two parents who are overly nurturing, and you've got this helicopter bulldozer mentality, and we're developing weak children because the men are weak and um, neutered, so to speak, and do not teach their sons to be strong and to protect. Well, I think it's because we've allowed the women to do that to us, right? We've allowed them to take over and run the show, and uh, we've stepped back from what God's plan was uh, where he wanted us to lead the family. And we just allow our our wives to lead the family because see they're going to step in. Somebody's got to do that. And there um, you go. And if and if and if if you as a guy are not going to do that, your wife's going to automatically do it. She's going to have to because somebody has to somebody has to be the adult in the house. And if if a man is going to sit back and eat Cheetos and play on his play video games, well, he's not even a man. You know, let's well, just that if he's going well, to you know you said not lead his family he's refused to be a man in my book and um and and so we've allowed that to happen and so what are we doing we're <laughs> we're pushing on down to our sons and see they see that so they're going to do it too you know well it's really interesting jay you said we've allowed our women to and i was listening to that and thinking okay i don't agree with that and then you then you made a statement where i think is right on the money we we have not allowed them to we have deferred and because yeah. we've deferred they've done what they've done and that we've nurturing enabled, we've enabled them yeah. to do well by yeah. by by virtue of our passivity Right. They have stepped into a role. And, you know, we live in a society, Jay, where 40% of kids are born out of wedlock. So 40% right. of kids today are growing up without a dad around. And then of those who are married, 50% of those get divorced. And 50% of the divorced kids don't see their dad for an entire year. So we've got a society being raised by moms. Thank God they at least have moms. But where are the men? Well, when I say allowed them to, I'm not saying that as if I'm domineering over my wife. You know, she yeah. she 
call yeah. me down if I need to need it. If I need it, she's <laughs> the first one to call me down. But when I say that, it's, it's just like we said, we've, we've allowed them to do it through our absence. And yes. um, it's like you said, without these, but with men, with all these children being born out of wedlock and the men just kind of step off and they get out of the picture. Now the now the woman's got to do it. She's got to she's got to fulfill both roles, and it just wasn't meant to be that way. Uh, it's, it's bad. So, what are some things you you deal with? Uh, what I would call, you know, we we use this phrase "hardened criminal," which I think is an oxymoron. I think a criminal is not hard. I think they're soft and weak, and and they're pansies. But when we look at these, you know, you deal with a lot of these hardened criminal types, and so by virtue of their arrest. By virtue of you being involved in their lives, there's a crisis that's been created. What crisis can a man create in his own life, or crises, crises can they uh, instigate to help them to move beyond soft and passive and move them into this place of strength and and leadership and protection? I don't know so much. The ones I I have been dealing with here lately, as far as men go, they create their own crisis. And, um, cause I'm, I'm going to tell you, you know, I, I'm a DUI cop. I, um, one of the things I do, I, um, I, I run the, I run the impaired driving program enforcement program for the state. And, um, so I teach DUI training. And the reason I got that job is because back years ago, I was really good at catching drunks and, uh, it's just, <laughs> We're, we're, you know, we're all, we all have our specialty, but, but anyway, most of the ones I run into, you know, they want to sit and uh, they create, they have put themselves in this situation and they'll, and they'll give you all these, uh, they, they'll give you all these excuses and these reasons in the end, you know what they are. They are all just excuses and uh, yeah. not any reasons uh, why they do what they do, but they put themselves in this situation. And um, I think what we have to do is we have to be able to respond to those crises. It, like I'll tell you, I've got guys at my church. It, it's really amazing what God's done. You, I'll, they'll come over here to the house, and we'll just come up here to this room in my house, and we'll just talk about their stuff, whatever it is. Uh, and um, and I'm not a counselor or anything, but um, I, I do offer suggestions. You know, look, well. What, what do you, and and I'll try to encourage them to offer the suggestions. What do you think we need to do about that? Uh, I had a guy here the other day talking about um, some issues he was going through, and I said, "Well, what do you think is the best thing for us to do about that?" And he said, "Well, I think I need to talk to a counselor." And I'm like, "Okay, good. Do you know any?" No, I said, "Okay, I'm going to get you a number and a name for a counselor. I'm going to get it by Tuesday." And then you can call them and you can schedule your own appointment. And then, so I, now, now I've put it back. Now I put the solution back in his hand. Right. And um, so I think that as, as these, from my experience, as these crises come, as God brings them toward me, I try to, as a guy, I try to steer them the, the way they need to go. And, um, but I have noticed in the, in the last few years that a lot of these crises that these guys are in is due to the fact that they are soft because they haven't handled business beforehand, um, handled things the way they should have already. Yeah, that's really good, Jay. Hey, Jay, we're, unfortunately, we're running out of time, but 
when I, oh, I heard you say that, I think you're right on the money. I think we as men need to evaluate our lives and have guys in our lives who have the guts to call us out and say, hey, you've got a, a problem or a blind spot here. And through the recognition and acknowledgement of that blind spot, we create a crisis to fix it. One of the things we got going on, Jay, and I, I haven't told you this yet, we are about a month away from developing what we're calling it the BVOM test. It's the best version of a man assessment where we have uh, we will have a, we will offer this online for free on our website. It's uh, going to be a 200 statement test, but for the online version, it'll be 40 where guys can go online and they can answer these 40 uh, statements. They rate themselves honestly. And from that, it'll break their statements down into how they measure up against the 20 qualifications of leadership in the pastoral epistles. So we can identify the weaknesses of the men or the strengths based on those 40 assessment questions. And from that, a man can develop uh, his own crisis, create a crisis and move forward. And so, I, Hey, I just really want to appreciate you to co- for coming on Jay. I know you're in the middle of a work day over there and uh, really thanks so much, man. Sure. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me, Jim. I appreciate everything the two of y'all do. Uh, you don't know how much you guys have helped me in my ministry. Um, you don't know how much you two have helped encourage me. Uh, and just know that we're here in Alabama. We're praying for you guys. I'm praying for the success of your ministry. And I'm praying that uh, God will keep leading you on to what, you, what he's got planned for you, that you meet all those expectations. Yeah, I appreciate your heart, man. And hey, I need to get out to Alabama, man. I got to go see uh, what's up out there. I've never been to that state. But hey, guys, what's going on here? What, what are we going to do next? Let's get our boots on the ground and let's do something about what you heard today with Jay. And here's what I've been thinking. Men, you need to create a crisis. Whether it's Dana getting in Iraq or uh, Delaney's uh, uh, birth issues or uh, the son needing to get a job or Jay becoming a Cub Scout leader, you, you need to create a crisis. So find the people that you love and ask somebody, man, where do I need to grow? And from that, create an event or create a crisis that will push you to become your next or your best version. We're in the middle of it, my house, uh, building a home gym because we need to create a, a better health crisis in our family. And so we've got, maybe for you, it's taking a cold shower at the end of your shower, just experience something that's uncomfortable. Maybe it's reading a great adventure book like River of Doubt or Endurance or Undaunted Courage or Into Thin Air or Into the Heart of the Sea. Maybe it's training for an event. Maybe it's getting out of your white-tailed tree stand this year and actually hunting these things on foot. I don't know what it is for you, but create a crisis. And we'll be posting that uh, on our boots on the ground when we uh, launch our equipping blast. So, Dale, uh, send us home, brother. What's up next? Yeah, thanks, Jim. Guys, we want you to go over to the website and get your free copy of Jim's book, Guts and Manhood, Four Refutable Attributes of Courage. And that's a free download for you, and you have a very limited time to get that. So you're going to want to go over there and get that now. When you go to our website at meninarena.org, you're going to see a pop-up that comes up. Just fill out the information, and you'll be able to download it. So until next time, fill the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out and create a crisis. Be a man. Men in the arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. 
Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's bathroom book for men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.